Bandwidth for November has been provided by Cashfly, the fastest, most reliable CDN in the business. Cashfly delivers all of our content here at 5 by 5 and they are the best. Check them out at cashfly.com, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y, and let them know that you heard about them here on 5 by 5 I'm now recording. I'm recording. Yeah, me too. Here we go. Three, two, one. We recorded this episode on November 24th, 2015. This is On The Grid, episode 143. I feel like I have to open this show with a little bit of a warning. This week, Dan was late and then lied to us about why he was late, so we decided to spend the first 10 minutes messing with him. Uh, There's a little bit of blue language, a little more than usual, so if you're not ready for it, maybe fast forward, then we get to the real topic, design is a luxury service, and what happens when you just can't afford design. But do stick around for the intro. It's fun. Dan just swears at us a lot. Here we go. Well, the intro was going to be time zones, but... <laughs> we decided earlier we would make fun of Dan because he can't he can't figure out what time zone he's currently in. Yeah, Dan earlier today was insisting to Matt and I that it was 7 p.m. Eastern time. And Matt and I were both like, no, it's, it's 5 p.m. And he goes, no, 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 it's 7 p.m. And we're like, that's where we live. We think we might know what time it is. Checking all the clocks right now, it is currently not 7 p.m. So that's how we're going to start. And uh, Dan, what do you have to say for yourself? <laughs> Oh, weird. He's not here. He didn't. He still got the time wrong, I think. We don't know where Dan is. Oh, gosh. He, I mean, I mean he, feel bad if he's dead. I feel really bad if he died or something. Uh, he, he would want us. He would want us to go on and crack jokes about it if something terrible had happened to him. That's very true. But he did say a mere 39 minutes ago, be there in a few. Sorry, got caught up with work. Don't but he's not means. working. I thought he was on vacation. I don't understand what's going on. I thought that too. That was my understanding. I don't get it. Could have fooled me. He's a man of mystery. That part is true. So what are we going to do with all these great time zone bits we had planned? Oh, it sounds like Dan will be back in two minutes. Yeah, Dan's alive, so now we can definitely tear into him without feeling bad that he So here's what's going to happen. We'll have this con- time conversation. We'll edit that part. Then we'll edit in the part where we just rip on Dan. Uh, I guess what we're going to do is we're just going to lie to him about what time it is here. Um, and fuck yeah, with now we're going to really fuck with him. Everyone get ready. Matt and I have already organized and we are going to really mess with this guy. When That's actually really great because we get to lead the audience into Dan is about to get 100% fucked with. You're right. I'm glad the audience is on our side. I want them to feel like they're on the inside and Dan is the only one on the outside. That's what's important to we're me. We're feeling wronged, even though Dan had said he had work come up and he probably had to do a real thing. Well, he could have said something. I mean, how, how long does it take you to send? How many messages we sent him in Slack and on Skype and you texted him? Like he could have said, hey, guys, a thing came up. Well, 40 minutes ago he is gonna get fucked with real hardcore i guess we mm. don't have to tell him we recorded anything either no he has no idea this never happened to, he doesn't have to know anything and then we'll find it. out if he actually listens to the podcast when it comes out maybe he does oh that'll maybe be good. he never hears this oh that actually i like that a lot let's find out <laughs> uh this makes me want to embed secret messages more often <laughs> dan look under your nightstand tape to the bottom of your nightstand there's an envelope in the envelope there's an encryption key that you have to then type in manually onto the computer. And then if you search for that to-do list I left on your computer when I visited you nine months ago, you'll be told to buy more Ovaltine. Dan's two minutes is a long two minutes. Dan said two minutes ago, more than two minutes ago. Maybe maybe two minutes in Nova Scotia or wherever he is. Oh, that's right. I forgot he's in this uh, this time warp. In Canada, two minutes is ten minutes, I think. 
searching for, he- searching for headphones an hour after we were supposed to record and three hours after he thought we were supposed to record. <laughs> That's the thing I wonder. In what his we, mind, what we, what we, he was supposed to be ready three hours ago. We, if he's going to be here in a second, we should start planning. Are we going to say it was supposed to take place at 9 o'clock or it currently is? Should we say it's currently 10 o'clock right it now? It is currently 10 o'clock okay. on the East Coast. We are going to fuck this guy's head. And then we'll, we'll, we'll get around to that, basically. I'll, we'll, I'll complain about it being too late. Okay. Uh, and I'll be annoyed. Yep. Yeah, okay. And cool. then he'll be confused because he'll be like, wait, I thought it was only eight o'clock. And I'll be like, what are you talking about, Dan? It's 10 o'clock. We've been over this like four times. <laughs> oh, man. I like when you initiate trolling because then it, it means I just get to join in and I don't have to, uh, I don't have to be the bad guy. So I'm going to get painted as the bad guy here. Is this going to happen? Yes. Welcome. Welcome to Bedtime. Yep. Welcome Sleepy. to Bedtime Podcast. The Sleepy podcast It's, it's where an we... er- hour earlier than what you guys normally do. It's 10 what o'clock. What are you talking about? It's 10 o'clock here, Dan. 10 o'clock? Yes. I thought 10 it was... PM. Wait, I thought I was an hour earlier than you guys. What? No, it's 10 p.m. now. We are a half hour after we normally record on a, on a night before the holidays. Remember we were saying earlier about time Wait, zones? wait, no, you guys are fucking with me. Dan, how can you not have figured this out? We've been over this like three fucking times. We did say this like 17 times in the chat room. It's, it's not that complicated. You're an hour behind. Where are you, Dan? Give me the latitude and longitude of your current location. I do not know the latitude nor longitude. I went to art school. I don't know this shit. Wait, hold on. She's I like, just typed Dan Hour into Google Maps. Dan is, I know this. Dan is currently 9 p.m. So we're 10 p.m. It says 10 p.m. on my laptop. I, we said this like 17 times in Slack. Is this why you're late, by the way? Because you didn't know what time it was? Wait, wait, hold on. Melanie's about to give it's the... It's me, and it's also north of the 49th parallel. Yeah. Also, well, there we go. also it's only 9 o'clock here. Yeah. Okay, well, it's 10 o'clock here, so all we're saying is we're trying to make a podcast, and this guy rolls up. This guy rolls up an hour late and three hours later than he thought we were supposed to record. That actually is the miraculous part, is according to Dan, it's three hours late, because he thought you were supposed to show up three hours ago. <laughs> I w- guys, no, Matt, we went to the same fucking school. You know that they didn't teach math nor science or anything else is actually oh, constructive. Sorry, it's my fault. Yet somehow I got the time right. I don't know how that works. Wait, time out. Is it her fault? Because you said it was work's fault. Is it her fault? No, it's work's fault. She just said it was her fault. No, it was actually work's fault because... I'm decoding this thing. I'm figuring it out. I'm getting to the bottom of it. Okay, then what did you figure out? I'm just saying. Sounds like... Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that it's her fault, but it's not her fault. It's your fault because it's your commitment. But oh. you, you weren't working. You were working <laughs> on your relationship. That's what I think. <laughs> You're working on getting intimate. Um. Well, I guess I was going to say what we're podcasting about, but that's my job to say what we're podcasting about. You are supposed to do that. Yep. That's how, that's how this works. I'm just, you know, I'm so distracted by betrayal. Um, wow. <laughs> wow. So, I mean, anyway. It's, in my mind, Dan has just been searching for headphones for three hours straight. Like, oh, is it podcast? No, it isn't. Okay. Let me, give me two minutes. I'll be right there. Oh, gotta find my headphones. Oh, it's just been, he's just been no. like walking around his hotel room in a circle for three hours looking for some sort oh, of headphones. Yeah, hotel room, right? Anyways, um, no. When we figured out that I, it was a two-hour difference, that I was like, oh, then I could hang out for two more hours, and so I did. And then, yeah, it's a one-hour difference. No, but I know one. No, no, but it's also different because I'm used to California time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm, yes, we, we, we know what you're used to because whatever's going <laughs> okay, on does not make any up, sense. No, I fucked up simple math, okay? Do you want, you want to keep bringing this up or do you want to get to the topic? 
Choices all I want to say. I mean, I kind of want to keep bringing it up. But, all know. I want to say is podcasts before last lasses. Really? Yeah. Really? Podcasts before lasses. <laughs> okay. That's what I'm saying. All right. So what are you talking about? Shows before hoes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just saying. God damn it. Yay. All right. We closed that segment. I, I would just like to I would like to state for the record that I'm, I'm sure she's a very wonderful lady and not at all a hoe. It just, it's all that rhymed, okay? Blame the English language. Don't blame me. I apologize. Are we actually going to talk about something that's not my personal life? We would have if you hadn't rolled up. I'm just saying, I, I can't imagine a work-related situation where you couldn't possibly just respond to a Slack message. I can, I can imagine some personal situations where maybe sending a Slack message wouldn't be so great. Anyway, we're moving on to talking about design. That's what this podcast is about, everybody. How do we change the world around us and shape it using our big creative minds to make beautiful, amazing things? Design. Yeah, if we could use our big creative mind to get Dan here in time, that would be great. But otherwise, <laughs> How are we going to design a better watch to get Dan to show up? <laughs> This podcast on time. All right, fuck everybody in every single instance ever. God, what if we could design some sort of a watch that had like notifications when. Yeah. Started? What if What if we could somehow send a message to his watch? No, no. To tell him first, that he was late for something. First, he was late. First, there were Slack notifications on my watch. Second, no. I had to yeah, turn them that, off. I know, Dan. No, that was the joke. No, no. no. That was the joke. No, no. I turned them off. You know why? There was a day that eighty-nine notifications because of the two of you exchanging shit over Slack. I had to turn that off because it was tap, tap, tap on my wrist. Oh, eighty-nine times to be like, Dan, where are you? Dan, are you here? No, 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 no. It was some shit. Yeah, there was this one time where Matt and I were really annoying him, and we were trying to record a podcast or something, and we kept sending messages over and over again to him. He just wouldn't respond. No, this was some shit about like I don't even fucking remember. It was probably about rap or some shit. In the middle of the fucking day. So you've given up on your Apple Watch entirely because months ago we talked about rap. No, no. I turned off Slack notifications on my watch months ago because <laughs> of you guys talking about rap. Mm-hmm. You know what you do is you turn Slack notifications on for when your name is mentioned. That way it's useful. No, no, yeah. no. It doesn't even let you do that. It's just like it's all or nothing. It does. It does. No, no it, it definitely does. I can confirm wait, that. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, wait. That means that you guys have Apple Watches. No, but the notification no, thing the works the same. the notifications are controlled by your phone. It's just an extension of the phone's notification system. Wait, seriously? I didn't even know yes. that. Yes. <sighs> Why do you think the Apple Watch is useless without your phone? <sighs> well, it is useless. No, it's not entirely useless. Does it get notifications? Well, it does, like, fitness stuff without your phone. Yep, that's different. Yeah, that's the stuff I use it for. There's no way you use it for fitness stuff. <laughs> 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 Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Especially fuck the both of you. (laughs) Using the accelerometer, we've calculated you put 475 things in your mouth today. (laughs) Are we doing a podcast or not? I mean, we're only 10 minutes in. We got plenty of time to (laughs) to come up with some good material. God fucking damn it. Oh, yeah, we is... just started. We're, God damn we're it. All of, not even 10 minutes, nine minutes. Oh, no, no. Matt's going to turn this into sound bites that are going to no. haunt my life. No. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. You, you guys, guess, you guess guys what? Have Soundboard that? Mel, you, you recorded your voice. Now that now it happened. Oh, no. That's, they... that's your life now. Oh, yeah. Andy just said Soundboard Mel. You're in trouble, man. Shit. Well, great. I'm in trouble. Thanks, guys. Yay. Dan got blamed for it. Yeah. Yay. Yay. Jokes are good. That actually does work. God works damn it. All right. Fine. Mm-hmm. What are we talking about, Andy? You know, it's really hard. <laughs> it's really hard to get off this train. <laughs> this, this place we're in is just so warm and comfortable. It's hard to, hard to leave, really. 
I feel like there's going to be some continuity from episode to episode while I'm doing this, like, come up with a topic thing. Because, you know, I end up thinking about the same things over and over again. That's just reality. And then I'll eventually I'll move on. But, you know, I'm, I'm still thinking a lot about this, uh, the presentation I gave in Canada and the kind of design as a language of privilege and really as, as a luxury service, which I think is something that we don't come to terms with very often, right? But like graphic design, especially the kind of design that like the three of us are doing where we're talking about websites and apps and other technology things, it's really a thing that only a very small portion of customers, clients, companies, whatever, can afford to buy properly, right? At the level we're doing it. Like it costs a lot of money for us to graphic design something. And there's that whole ecosystem of kind of products that have cropped up you know, the Squarespaces, the 99 Designs, uh, all those kinds of services that are there to provide something that's like graphic design to somebody that can't afford the luxury service we're providing. But it's interesting how it kind of comes into play in our like actual lives in that like, I'm, I'm a firm believer in design being as holistic as possible. And by that, I specifically mean, as a designer, involving yourself in as many of the sort of systems and levels at play in a, in a given project. Even if it's not involvement, like making sure you understand them. Uh, like, like I think we as designers should understand the underlying business model of our clients. We should understand the technology that's being used to deliver whatever thing we're working on to uh, the viewers or users. We should understand all these things because every little compromise and decision we have to make is reliant on this sort of big network of systems. But... The more that I expose myself to that and the more that I put myself in that role of like kind of the, the manager of all of these different uh, sort of stakeholders and all these different kind of systems, the more that I actually find myself unable to justify the kind of time I would like to spend on graphic design for a given project, right? Because clients have budgets and when clients have budgets and you know what can be done in X amount of time when it comes to developing software, or X amount of time when it comes to you know, figuring out the perfect, you know, user flow or the perfect interface for a given task, it's really hard to justify spending that time on the design, I say in air quotes again, because I think all this is design, on the like actual visual design of mm -hmm. whatever it is you're working on. And I often find myself in some ways advocating against spending that time when working within a budget. Is this something that comes up? Yes. <laughs> I think this is, this is connected to a lot of things, but I'm curious to see how this comes up for, for you two. Obviously, like the idea that people have budgets and can't afford great stuff, that's, you know, that's the thing that we're all aware of. Everyone's got limitations. And obviously, if we had the freedom to spend infinite time on every project, we would. But do you find yourselves in either of your positions in a situation where you're, you find yourself advocating against spending the time to graphic design something because it just simply is not the best way to spend time or money. Actually, I, I do that all the time, to be honest. Like, the project I'm currently working on is just, like, the basic, biggest project of the year, which is Game of the Year, which is, like, the end-of-the-year awards for all the best games of the year. And, um, like, to be honest, I'm more worried about functionality than I am visual design. And when I was talking to the team, I said, there's frivolous stuff that we could do at the end of it, which is visual design, which could be, like, things like the aesthetics, CSS animations, so on and so forth. And like, I, that would be, th those are nice to haves. Like if we shipped without it, I would actually be totally fine with it. So long as it's functional, like that's actually how I've operated for years. Uh, yeah, I have the same, I find myself in that position more often recently, but, 
Yeah, all the time. I don't think it's that weird for us to be in that situation. And it's not it's not hugely different now than when I was at Pentagram, where I think maybe that assumption might be different. But I think you're always in that situation where you're trying to... I don't think of it as like advocating against yourself, more just advocating for the right thing. You mentioned that maybe we would spend an infinite amount of time on something if we could. I might spend more time on something, but I would never want to spend an infinite amount of time on something. Like, I like... Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, assuming yeah. your finite life and stuff, you know... You no, no, but you know what I mean? But, but I'm saying, like, I don't have the attitude that, like, I would like to nitpick every detail to death and never release it out into the world. Like, I like finishing something and then moving on to the next thing. That's a nice feeling. So I don't necessarily want to do that thing where you focus on every tiny little detail for a million years, and then you put out the one polished piece that is perfect well yeah sure. i mean even on top of that too like if you're talking about something like a poster it's very visually based if you're talking about something like a a microsite or just like a single web page or a small website or something like that so long as it serves the function that is required like that's the most important the visual design stuff comes second so i mean lots of people would argue the same thing about a poster right like if it gets people to show up to the show and mm-hmm. uh, oh that's very true Okay. You know, it communicates information, which that doesn't happen anymore. Now posters are just, is it a cool thing people will buy? Uh, that's all a poster is now. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, all those things also have a, a practical side, right? None of this is just visual masturbation. It's all got some kind of root in some utility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the question is just, you know, what's the sort of balance there? The other thing, where I think this goes, right, is uh, Dan... How much of your work would you consider that you do on a day-to-day basis, like design work? And how much of your work would you consider front-end development or something else that you were 0% taught in graphic design school? Uh, To be honest, I think when it comes to visual design, graphic design, in that sense, it might be 10 or 5%. The majority of it is something either trying to help out... uh, obviously my new designer that just joined the team or uh, mostly front-end development if you're talking about the sense of HTML, CSS, so on and so forth. Matt, what about you? Mm, I, still, I still have a solid amount of it. Like I'm still in the position that I have to be actually making this stuff. So I don't know, 50-50, 60-40. It's definitely more on the side of management recently, but uh, it's getting less, but it's not going away. I, I'm a lot closer to Dan's numbers. I'm probably more like somewhere between like 10 to 20. Um, mm-hmm. I, I do a lot of front end development now as well. And oftentimes on projects where budget is tight, like we just, that becomes design. Like as I'm building it, I'll just make it look acceptable, right? Because <laughs> that's like, I guess what it comes down to is more so than in other, here's the thing I find myself saying a lot to clients when we're asked to estimate a project. Um, someone would be like, here, I need this thing built. Uh, could you give me an estimate for it? And I'll say, yes, we can. And I'll say, we can give you an estimate for building it, the back-end development, the front-end development to a certain degree. Uh, and that's basically like a non-negotiable thing. Like it takes a certain amount of hours to build something. We'll give you an estimate based on our experience and that we hope we can get it done for this low number. But you know, worst case scenario, we get it done for this higher number, somewhere in between. Um, and if we don't have that time, we just can't do it. And then when it comes to design, I kind of tell them, you know, if you came to me and said that you needed this website designed in five hours, I, I could do it. It would be bad, but I could design it in five hours. We could, we could make the page. We could, you know, have something to go and build. 
Um, and if you told me that you had to launch it in four years, we could spend all four years working on it and improving it and making it better and tweaking it and doing user testing and doing focus groups and you know doing all the sort of conceivable things we could do to make this as good as possible. Um, so design is on this continuum, really, where there's almost zero requisite time in order for something to happen. And tr truly, there's none, right? Like we could just not design it and just have the engineers build it, in which case they're actually also designing it, but whatever terminology. Uh, there's no requisite time, and there is a you know, extremely high-end, near-infinite of time that could be spent. Um, and so oftentimes, I'll kind of push and be like, we need some sense of either a budget or where you want to land on the spectrum. And usually, we kind of have a space that we're comfortable with on the spectrum. Right? Like We're comfortable right around here. We think this amount of time is going to be passable. We'll get you something that's good, that, that is sort of an optimal amount of investment for you and return on this sort of designed thing. But sometimes it's really hard. Whenever budgets get tight, there's no room to move on the, the website has to do X. And there, of course, is room to move on the time we spend making it as intuitive, as beautiful, as uh, you know, easy to use as possible. And it's near impossible not to slide down that, that curve. And that's what we end up doing often because clients have budgets and that's how things work. How far are you comfortable going? Because that's, that's, the, that's the line in my head is just like there is a point at which I just don't want to do it anymore because I don't think the result is going to be a good representation of what we do. And yep, I don't know exactly where that is. It's hard to quantify. But, but project by project, we tend to have a pretty good idea and we can see a budget and go, I think we have to say no because it's going to be bad. Or I guess the thing we say is like, we're just not going to make something that they're happy with. Uh, and somebody might not know that coming to you, but you can at least tell that to them. It doesn't always line up. People aren't always happy to hear it. But there is that point of which you just have to say, I, we can't do it in this range because it's just not going to be a good thing. Mm -hmm. We might as well just take a totally different approach because this isn't going to work. Yeah, and, and that's hard to quantify, but that's basically the question we're always asking, right? Is, you know, and, and, and the challenge is if you have that conversation internally, you decide how low we're willing to go before it doesn't meet our standards anymore. It, once you've come to that number internally, there's no way that the budget's not going to end up there, right? Like, yeah, that's of, the of course, the client wants it done for as little as possible. And I think it's hard to make the case to most people that the thing they're investing in is going to be worth it on the other side. So they see like, well, you could do it for this. So why wouldn't I? That's lower than this other number. If it's going to be done for this amount, then I want it. Um, so yeah, it's hard to quantify. And the other thing I would push back a little bit on is the idea that certain things won't be good unless we spend a certain amount of time designing them. Um, like I said, I do a lot of front-end development on some of our projects, and some projects that basically don't have a design budget, I'll just go and build it. Uh, or we have a client of ours who does most of the design with a creative director in-house, and then they basically have us uh, build it out and kind of flesh things out. And, and we're very much a part of the conversation. We very oftentimes push back on something that doesn't make any sense, and they'll change their mind. But uh, you know, the, the sort of vision is very much coming from our client. Um, in those situations, like the result, I think, can be very good uh, as long as it's built with an eye to basic human, you know, understandability and usability. Uh, I, I think you can build a thing in a very simple way without actually spending time graphic designing it in a graphic design program and still have it come out very fine and, and totally acceptable and not below standards. Um, and that actually kind of, like, I think there is this whole group of designers that are kind of of the 
designers have to learn to code or they're going to be extinct. And the best designer is one that can design and implement their designs kind of model. Um, and, you know, whether that's, I've always felt like that was kind of just a response to the fact that there is so much money in technology right now that it's very easy to mistake that amount of money with value, like inherent value in what you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, so I think a lot of people see that and assume that that must be kind of the new frontier of design when, frankly, I don't know if we're not going to have the distributed designers code conversation, but I think a lot of the people that are on that side, that are designers need to code, they need to be able to implement the things they're designing are basically advocating for less designers, right? <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. they want less people that are just designing the thing and more people that are just building it because they themselves have also recognized that design is this kind of luxury that many people, whether you're a consulting company working for clients or whether you're in Dan's position and you, know, you have a certain amount of hours your team has a week to get these features done and to build out your product roadmap. Either way, people are constrained for resources. And in both situations, I think a lot of people have realized that, hey, maybe we just don't want more as main designers. And so we'll just make up this new idea of what a designer is, but it's actually just a front-end developer that uh, we're going to call a designer. And it's a front-end developer that has some sense of how humans work. Um, well, I mean, that's also a strange perception too, because if you're talking about a startup or a very small company where uh, you had limited resources to be able to contribute to a design team, like it, you're only going to have so much money, only so many people on the team. So you want people that could do multiple things. Like if... Uh, somebody had been trained in graphic design, but also could do front end development. I mean, like the, that's a really good thing. But if you're talking about like the, the thing that always comes to my mind is that if you had a company like Levi's, which is a very big, very established brand, and they had very uh, specific aesthetics that were associated with them then there could absolutely be a team of designers that were only concerned about the aesthetics and only concerned about how things are presented from a visual perspective, but also a different team of designers that were really concerned about usability and, and, and things that were revolved around all of the digital products. So like it, it, to me, it actually depends on the team or like the, how much resource is associated with whatever is trying to be created. Because if it's a smaller team, then yeah, like front end development kind of trumps because if it's a digital product, like that's what matters the most is the functionality and the fact that it works and actually shows up on a page. But if it's a, a bigger brand and one of these, you know, like lifestyle brands, like what we were talking about last week and the week before that, um, it kind of gets a little bit more murky because you have people that can be completely concerned about just the aesthetics and nothing more. And that's actually okay. Yeah. And I, I guess what I'm saying is in those situations, how many of these unicorn developer slash designer folks mm -hmm. are doing anything in their day-to-day -day job that resembles graphic design and how many of them are just basically front end developers oh, yeah. with a different mentality. Yeah. Um, and again, I don't want to get too picky on terminology because you know, who cares? But I think it's interesting that I think a lot of people are like design is changing uh, when in really some ways design is just kind of perhaps evaporating a little bit beneath us. And we're realizing that there is not space for designers anymore in some in many, many organizations that are not the scale that can afford them. And so instead, we're going to try and sneak design in through these other positions that are vaguely related because we have to somehow justify our existence. <laughs> and so... Yeah. We're going to instead say, oh, well, this is the best designers now are also developers. And yeah, they spend most of the time developing, but they do it like a designer. Uh, and that's <laughs> actually just us acknowledging that people can't afford design because it's a luxury. And so we're well, going to give them something more practical. Here, I'll push back on one thing. Do it. Do you think anything's evaporating under us? Like, do you think like total number of design jobs, total number of things being handed to a graphic designer to do a thing? Like, 
is that maybe more than ever before and just everybody wants it now? Yeah. And I don't not know. everybody can afford it? I have to look at some numbers. I have no idea. Um, I would actually be willing to bet it's more that uh, there are more graphic designers than there ever have before. That's probably that more, true. More than there ever have been before. There are more companies that are aware of what that even means and are reaching out for some way to use it. And then there are also more developers than there have ever been before. And those combinations of things, along with like small companies creating things that rely very heavily on visuals, meaning like interfaces and things, they need those services more than ever. So there's just uh, there's just this this emergence of the non-luxury version of graphic design. It's not that things are disappearing. I don't think have any prominent graphic design firms shut down recently, or have any of the they've gotten acquired by were, Facebook. Does that count? That is uh, that's, not mm. a traditional graphic design firm at all. That is a very different situation. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's more of the thing you're talking about, actually. So I think it's just that more people want it, and not everyone can afford it and go to the same groups of people. Yeah, but the the strange thing, though, is that like when you were talking about it, you were talking about the term graphic designers, but I also feel like that's a term that's used very infrequently than in comparison into the past because graphic designers had a much more prominent and uh, just a much more prominent mm. role than it was where... Mm. like I if, don't think it is, Dan. Maybe in our world. Yeah, I think, I think we're in a very small corner of the world. When, when really, I go to like though? this conference, yeah, when I go to this conference, everybody is a graphic designer. Hi, I'm a graphic designer. Hi, it says graphic designer on my Twitter profile. Hi, it's my business card. It says graphic designer. They're all graphic designers. Depends on where you are. Yeah. I think yeah. One year ago, uh, it was a very, <laughs> there were a lot of graphic designers around. Now I'm just in a different Now I'm alone but... in my apartment in Philadelphia. Oh God, what have I done? <laughs> yeah, but I, okay. No, I, I mean, that is a good point because like most of the people that are around me are UI, UX designers. Yeah, so I guess this it's is the world you're seeing. Yeah. So I don't think anything's evaporating. I just think well, there's more and more demand for a different tier of service. Well, so yeah, I guess the only I don't know I don't know the numbers are, and I'm not trying to make this the argument that like graphic design's going away, everyone be scared and freak out. Uh, mm-hmm. I just think it's interesting that so many people think that the next iteration of what our industry is going to be represents basically the entirety of another industry, <laughs> and we're <laughs> and we're just doing it a little differently because of yeah. whatever, um, and. The only thing I would push back on a little bit there, Matt, is that if it was the case that there were just, you know, graphic designers everywhere and we're just tripping over them all the time and there's so many of them, then I would argue that it would be very difficult for any of us to charge the premium for our services that we can, in fact, charge, right? Like, if there was so many competent graphic designers out there that could do great work, then I don't think that it would remain a luxury service. I think it would become something that was more accessible just by the rules of economics like i think the situation that you and i are both in is that we're bolstered by being also a development company yeah i think if you struck yeah. out on your own and tried to do exactly what you're doing with no support from development and said you buy my services i will find someone else to develop your site i think you'd have a much harder time selling you selling yourself at your own rate absolutely well so that that's another related thing is that something we've found is that it's it's near our rates for software development are competitive and fairly normal. Uh, our rates for graphic design services, which are the same as our rates for software development, are sky higher than everybody, every other graphic design company uh, in, in the area, basically, as, as far as I can tell. Um, people do not charge anywhere near as much for graphic design as they do for software development. And for us, it's kind of two sides of the same coin. So we run up against this problem of, you know, trying to justify that it's worth it. And people are like, well, that's a lot of numbers for graphic design, graphic design, I can get on 99 designs or whatever. No, none of our clients yeah. actually think that, but you know, you know what I'm saying, right? Like the, the value is not the same uh, for, for either of both of those things, which is, again, another way I think it's kind of like, like Matt, you're basically like making the argument that we're doing exactly the thing I'm saying. We're just kind of 
attaching our ideas to a whole different industry and we're now software developers and we're just going to do it our way and we're going to call it graphic design. If you have to describe Friends of the Web, I bet you would call it uh, something to do with custom software and not something to do with graphic design. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've never, yeah. I mean, the word graphic is something I haven't used uh, okay. to refer oh, to well, myself well. or my own work. Don't argue about that, though. <laughs> argue the, the point I made. I mean, well, whenever I say that, whenever I am asked or tasked with describing Friends of the Web, I say that we design and build websites and mobile apps. That's okay. the description. Um, which, design is in there. It's first. Yeah, yeah. No, I get it. Because I, <laughs> I, I wrote it. Um, <laughs> no, but I, I think there's something to this, though, because there was a surface level to many of the things that you'll find in graphic design's history. And by, by that, I mean the complexity was all visible. So... Uh, I, I never, Matt, you could answer these questions. You, you know more than I do. I've never designed like a giant book, uh, right? I've never actually yeah. gone through and, you know, gotten all the resources and laid out a whole 300 page book and done all of the hard work and gotten it produced. But it seems to me from the designers I know that do that, that your job in that process is some small degree, I'm going to be in InDesign and I'm going to be choosing how wide this column text should be. and I'm going to be putting this photo exactly where it belongs. And then also a pretty significant degree of I'm on the phone with printers. I'm on the phone with photographers. I'm coordinating mm-hmm. all these other things to basically make this happen by any means necessary. Like my job is an implementer of this and I have to make it happen no matter what. Correct. Um, and that is the kind of design that I am seeing myself do and am advocating for its value, right? Like I think uh, we have a very small company. There's no reason... and. and very, very oftentimes, our developers will directly interact with our clients. They'll send them emails, ask them questions, et cetera, et cetera. But we found that it's more efficient almost all the time for all of those questions and communications more or less to come through the design side of the company because we will ask questions about them uh, just by our very nature. They'll say, we need this, and I'll say why. And then we'll go back and forth about that for a long time. Um, so in, those, in that sense, like I'm advocating for doing the same thing that I imagine people do when they're designing a big book as a graphic designer, uh, but also on software, which is that I need to constantly communicate with the client and any of their stakeholders to make sure that they understand what's being built, they know what's coming, we've answered all the questions we need to answer, and the thing they haven't thought of, I've thought of to make sure that we get ahead of it. Uh, And two, I have to understand enough about the technical implementations that I know what's possible and I'm able to communicate what's possible, you know, back and forth with, uh, you know, people that are building it and the client that is sort of has those expectations uh and yeah eventually i'll decide what it should look like why not uh but like, that's kind of a small task I, I, on the, we're launching a big project on tuesday um which i'm, I'm not going to mention only because on the off chance it doesn't launch on tuesday this podcast will come up before it but um on that project if i were to go back and look through all my time it was easily as much time if not more time spent corresponding with people and you know putting tasks into Pivotal Tracker and, you know, doing all this kind of management stuff as it was in Illustrator or in, you know, Sublime writing CSS because uh, it needed to be done. Um, And I just think that's an aspect of design that, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this. There's this kind of traditional role where the designer is the person that brings it all together. They're the person, it, it comes, you know, kind of starts with the the copy editor works with the designer. It's kind of like you write the copy and I'll make sure all the pieces get put together and, and shit. Like, you know what? I even had it when I was working at my high school newspaper and I was the last guy there because the last person to see it is the person who lays it all out in the newspaper and then sends it to the printer. Whether you wanted to or not, 
you're the last person to put their eyes on it and to check everything and to get it done. And you're probably the one that's going to feel the most bad if there's a problem. <laughs> that's actually, I've thought about that way too much. The fact that like, I feel all the responsibility of any project I ever work on. Like if something doesn't go well, I feel like no matter what stage in the process it didn't go well, it is my fault because I should be responsible for coordinating every step. I'm right there with you on all of our projects at work. Mm. I've always felt that about, you know, even something like printing a book. If there's something that's misprinted in the book, well, then that's my fault because I should have looked at the proofs and I should have noticed that was going to happen. And if I, and if it's something that happened with the press, well, then I should have known that that kind of paper and that kind of ink don't go together too well. So no matter what happens, it's going to be the designer's fault. Um, but I also think that kind of attitude makes, makes someone good at what they do. Yeah, uh, for sure. I would hope if if you feel that kind of responsibility We're about professional it, martyrs. <laughs> <laughs> if you feel that kind of responsibility about it, like yes, you're going to feel that way about the visuals of it, but you're going you just can't help yourself but get involved in every step in the process. You, you're probably mm. going to annoy some people at first, but uh, I think if if you can get used to that kind of attitude, things are going to go okay. You know, things are going to be managed well. Uh, you are working with somebody who's involved in every step because they have to be. That's the kind of person you want to get in touch with. I'm kind of I, I like the idea that uh, that's what we mean when we say design, and that's who you're going to talk to, and you're going to feel pretty good about it because you can call Matt and it's going to be okay. I'm assuming you can call Andy and you can call Dan. I guess Dan, you're not getting calls the same way, but no, well, no. he got a call an hour ago. He had to had to drop everything and go work on something very important, take responsibility for it. Anyway, um, no, I think you're right, Matt, and from a from a strictly service perspective, you know, I've mentioned we're doing renovations in the office right now, and mm -hmm. there's nothing more annoying than when a particular contractor doesn't do all the things you expect they, they should do, right? Mm -hmm. Like we're having this uh, the soundproof wall installed, this glass wall that's like insulated so you can't hear things through it for a conference room, and there's a door going in, and the company that installs the door won't do any of the framing around the door. You have to give them a perfect size hole basically exactly every specifications they just bolt the door into it and mm. it's just like you're the door people why do i have to contract <laughs> a separate person to come in here and do the hole and then you're going to put the door in it why can't you you know more about this than i do why can't you have a, a hole guy that you call to put the hole there first then you can put the door in like this should be all wrapped up in one service that we just pay you for very frustrating so this brings me to what seems like an obvious question which is that you know, if this is part of not just modern design practice, which I think, it, I think it really is more and more, people talk about the unicorn designer, like forget somebody that can code, great, sure. If you have that skill, amazing. Um, more importantly, I think having somebody that is comfortable taking a position of responsibility and making sure that everything happens as it needs to happen and is good at communicating with people, first and foremost, uh, rather than computers, that seems like uh, the most important skill for a lot of people in what I have observed as sort of contemporary design roles. But this is also true for, you know, designing books and presumably posters and pamphlets and signage where you have to be involved in all these sort of levels of complexity. Why is this not a part of what we teach people to do in our industry? Like, why does it seem that we only prepare people with our educational programs to basically go and be minions under the tutelage of somebody who has this experience and is just going to tell them what to do? until eventually they happen to learn it on the job, as opposed to us teaching people to, you know, understand complexity and teach them how to manage people and how to communicate and sort of things like that. That actually is the program I would advocate is some sort of like hybrid designer project manager role. Because I, I think every, whether you have a project manager on your team or not, like I think every designer should act like a project manager anyway. And 
Like, I, I just don't, I never trust a designer who's like, oh man, there's my project manager tapping me on the shoulder again, saying I have to get, like, you know, you should know. Yeah, you but. You know more than anybody else. But, but at the same time, you're also saying, like, every graphic designer should be ready to be a project manager, but that could also mean a team of project managers. Like, that. That sounds great. <laughs> no, but that also means that everybody's trying to care, take care of the projects in their own individual sense. But that also means that there's going to be a lot of conflict on what they feel as individuals needs to be done to be able to complete every single project. If there's conflict, then none of them are being very good project managers. Like, basically, I'm advocating for people that understand everything that's going on enough to make an educated decision about any little piece that happens to come up. And I think the reason that we have project managers as a separate, defined, singular role right now is because we're so used to nobody else in any of those positions being expected to do that. Uh, the idea that, you know, a developer should understand a sort of business concern the client has, or the idea that a designer should understand a technical, understand a technical consideration that makes something more difficult than something else is so foreign in most workplaces that you need one person whose whole job it is is to walk around and pick up the pieces as nobody is able to communicate with each other, with each other effectively and understand each other. Yeah, but, but that also doesn't feel like it's going to scale very well because at the end of the day, like you're going to have so many people work on like individual aspects, either of a larger project or multiple multiple projects going on at the same time that you need somebody that could be that centralized unit that could say, here's from a high level everything that's going on and that person is typically a project manager right well eventually you get to a certain scale and you need like a you know a, a ceo and an executive team who's you know making decisions about vision and sort of general direction but i, I don't know I, i'm not convinced that anything that we do in any of our companies especially our tech companies is a thing that must happen like we've invented all these systems and to say that we couldn't do a better job some other way is i think misguided I was gonna say the one place I haven't been, like I've never been on a team size more than like at most 15 people maybe. Even when we're working on huge projects with very, very large corporations that have that kind of setup, uh, I've never been in a situation where something was so big that I couldn't kind of manage it myself. So I, I don't know how you would do design in that situation. If, if a situation was so big you couldn't understand it enough, I don't know how you would make any design decision. I would feel totally paralyzed. I'm saying I haven't been in that situation, so I don't know. Yeah, but no, I guess, I'm with you. I'm saying I haven't either. <laughs> but, because... I kinda, but I also have decided for myself that I don't think I ever want to work on a design team that's more than that amount of people. Well, but, but even when you get to big, like they're all broken down into little sub teams, you know, all of the, your Facebooks and your Googles, they all have little yeah. individual groups that focus on little pieces of things. It's not like you're ever actually at a, in a conference room with 70 designers going, what shall we do now? That yeah. never happens. And I guess the other thing I think of is and I know there are situations where there are people like that. I don't know how much how, how much it actually exists, but uh, you know, a person spending hours on a single icon or something, big, shiny, exciting icon. I just think of that as like that's just a different job to me. Luxury. That's, just, yeah. that's illustration yeah. or something. You know what I mean? Uh, I think there's there's the world of graphic designers who are like would love to spend hours and hours and hours on like an illustration for your homepage or for your book or something. But that just seems like a different thing. That's not the thing I learned how to do. Uh, that's being a, an illustrator, a digital painter, or something. But I just don't see that as my job. That's probably a lot closer to the thing you were taught how to do, though, right? Yeah. No, that's, that's much Your more... Your assignment's in school. I mean, honestly, yeah. like technical, like very specific technical drawing skill? Not really. Well, okay. Yeah, that's true. I, I thought you were using that as kind of a stand-in for any like highly detailed like visual thing. I kind of am. I kind of am, but I actually don't feel like my education was about like 
the specifics of highly detailed things. We learned about typography. Highly detailed thing. What'd you learn about typography? No, but it was more in a functional sense rather than trying to figure out the, the, the minutia. Like, I think to Matt's point... Wait, was it... Time out. Was it in a functional sense and not figuring out the minutia? Would you not spend time talking about kerning and letting and uh, tracking and all these other things when... Functional typography. Here. Yeah. Set it in any readable normal typeface uh, mm-hmm. at 12 point uh, with a 16 point line and a measure of, you know, whatever... 28 cap heights uh and you're done that's it functional typography class over that's how you make type readable i think it was somewhere between you know both of your exaggerations yes but uh but i mean like to matt's point though like the example he keeps on giving is something that is prevalent without within graphic design that there's a lot of people that would love to be able to spend a lot of time on those very specific details but that's also not every designer like that's something that is a bit of a stereotype and that's something that like definitely was not Something that was, at least in my experience, a very prevalent thing at SCAD. I mean, I th- I think that attitude of like, I would sure love to spend, and I've said this before on the show, like, I would love nothing more than to sit down and draw icons all day. Like, you just give me some nouns, I'll draw some icons for them in a given style, and God, I'll be the happiest little boy that's ever lived, and I'll spend... Yeah, and that, I would say, that's not my dream situation. Yeah, that would not me make neither. me happy. Me the neither. Reason that that is, the reason that that is exciting for me uh, is because... Uh, of two reasons. The first reason is just that I, I know I'm very good at it, right? Like I've already got a skill there, so it's not challenging. And more importantly, what I'm basically asking for is, hey, you, please take all responsibility off my plate. <laughs> like I would love to not have to be responsible because all I'm doing is drawing these little pictures and all I have to do is look like a dog and then I'm done. Um, do you mean that though? No, I mean, of course, like I don't mean that. Otherwise I would have a job where I would do where I was doing that. I mean that when I say that I'm daydreaming of uh, how nice it would be to sometimes not have any responsibility because responsibility is stress and anxiety inducing. Yeah, I also sometimes wonder what it would be like to be a cat or something. But yeah. like, <laughs> I think that being I'd a be... cat equals drawing eye console day. It's basically the same thing. Well, you just, just kind of sit around and wait for someone to feed you. And, and you're basically having as much impact on the world. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I think yeah. I think the reality is like uh, I would do that for one day and then I'd be like, oh, I gotta go be mad again or else I'll, I'll fall off a cliff. Like I can't, I can't sit still for that long. Oh, uh, you could be happen. mad at sports or something. You could find something to fill in the gap. Oh, I definitely think I could be a football coach or something, but I'm just saying I would have to go have some sort of responsibility. Yeah. I mean, someone should hire me as a football coach, actually. That's a really good idea. Well, if you see your Madden scores, I mean, good you, Lord, I turned that you're basically going to turn like a middle school quarterback <laughs> into an all-star NFL football player in a matter of three months according to your madden mm-hmm. franchise stats i heard chip kelly in philadelphia is gonna get fired soon hey, i'm right here philadelphia is that city you're in hey i'm right here man i would pay a fair amount of money to watch a behind the scenes tv show where you actually get put in place as the coach of a football team and we get to follow that as a rowdy tv show i would accept that fair amount of money as well as the coaching contract that comes with it i would also sell i would also accept that fair amount of money Oh, man, that'd be so fun. I'd be one of those coaches that's real gruff and, like, doesn't handle the media well. Not doesn't, just will refuse to answer questions. Mm, uh, yeah. Gary, go, hit me with any sort of question. Uh, and Matt, what, what, happened on, what happened out there on defense today? I noticed uh, really falling down in the secondary. Had a rough day today. We didn't execute the way we were supposed to. We're thinking about the next game. But, but what are you going to do about uh, Joe Smith, the cornerback who kept getting passes on him? <laughs> we got a lot of players in this team. Some of them didn't execute the way they were supposed to, but we're thinking about the next game. <laughs> uh, it's the last game of the season, Coach. What do you mean you think about the last next game? Season's over. You lost. We got to think about changing our roster. 
got to got to look at new players. And then we're on to next season. No, no, but coach, you got fired. You don't understand. This is this is your last game of the NFL ever. You're you're, you're done. Sometimes you go out there and you don't execute. On to the next job. And that that's you at the Applebee's table. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, where are onion rings, sir? Sometimes you know your onion rings don't come out, and uh, you just gotta look forward to the next next entree. Well, today a thing happened to me, which is one of my favorite things that can happen to me, which is that a book came that I pre-ordered from Amazon months ago and totally forgot A, even existed, and B, that I had pre-ordered for myself. So it's just like a present arrived. And the book in question is Randall Monroe's uh, Thing Explainer, which is his second book. I think we may have talked about his first book on the show, which was the What If book, which comes from the What If blog. And I know we've talked about Randall and how great and smart and awesome he is. I know what this is. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, it came today. And uh, first of all, it is a beautiful book, uh, very well printed, a good size. Uh, It's just a a nice, a nice thing to hold in your hand and to have. Uh, And what it is basically is it's an extrapolation of one of his, um, one of my favorite comics of his, which he made once, which was that he made a comic that explained the Saturn V rocket using only the 1000 most common words in the English language. So he made a very complicated diagram and labeled all of the different parts and did it only using the thousand most common words, which basically, if you look at it, it looks like, you know, a child or, uh, you know, somebody with a feeble grasp on the English language made this thing. But he goes above and beyond to try and make it as explicit and descriptive as possible. So he's limiting himself on the number of words he can use, uh, but uh, he is trying quite genuinely to actually explain this thing which he understands very well because he's a smart man used to work for nasa so this comic was great uh and it inspired him to make a whole book of complicated scientific and you know other things about the world that uh are explained using diagrams and only the uh 10 100 most common words 1000 is not one of the most common words uh in the english language so (laughs) using only the 10 100 most common words and uh, it is a absolute delight in a number of ways. I mean, first of all, it's just funny, right? Like the descriptions of things are oftentimes hilarious. Um, boat is in the top 1,000 most common words in English language, but uh, airplane is not. So uh, airplanes are sky boats and spaceships are space boats. Uh, everything is some kind of boat, basically, because boat happens to be in there. Um, the number nine, for whatever reason, not in the top 1,000 most common words, but one, two, three, four, five, all the way up through, you know, many other numbers are. So anytime he has to count any of the diagrams, it'll go like four, five, six, seven, eight, almost 10, 10, because <laughs> there is no nine. Um, so it's funny in that sense. And, uh, but it's also like, it is genuinely informative, right? Like he's describing lots of things I myself have wondered about and researched independently and explaining them in ways that are very uh, simple and easy to understand. Because again, there's no language you don't understand. If you speak English, you know every single word in this book. Um, and, you know, he's explaining things like cell structure and like how nuclear power plants work, um, you know, all sorts of various space things, uh, the structure of uh, the Large Hadron Collider, the sort of particle accelerator. Um, mm-hmm. All of these things are explained using just these sort of basic words. And it's this great combination of entertaining and also like actually educational in a way that I have learned from it already. Uh, and it's a beautiful book, too. So it's great. And it's also, you know... It, the what if book was interesting because, you know, the blog is already great. You could just go read the blog and there's no real difference in reading the blog and, you know, 
we're looking at it in a book. So you could argue mm -hmm. that doesn't really have to be a book. This particular thing is a great example of really taking advantage of the format of a book because, uh, you know, obviously you could, we can print things much higher resolution than we can show them on screen. So there's lots of tiny little line work and labels. And he talks about how there's kinds of drawings he can do in print that he just can't do online because screens won't handle it. And so it's a really good sort of uh, example of kind of his work tailored to a medium that it otherwise wouldn't be suited for. Uh, and it's great. And I think everyone should get it. And, you know, holidays are coming up. It would make a great Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa present for anybody that uh, cares about understanding the world around them, which all designers should try to do. There we go, Matt. There's your bow. Boom. Closed it up. Boom. Done. I brought it back to design at the end. You hear that? That'll make you happy, won't it? This has been On The Grid, episode 143. This week, I just want you to check out our subreddit, onthegrid.reddit.com. You can submit links you think we might enjoy, or you can leave feedback about the show. Do you like it when we mess with Dan? Is it funny? Is it horrible and unbearable? Should we just get to the topic already? Let us know. Go to onthegrid.reddit.com. No thanks to Dan this week, but he did make that interlude music. Thank you to Girlfriends for the theme music, and most importantly, thank you to you for listening. Until next week. Time is very hard. I would love to be able to try and build software without an aspect of time in it because, oh boy, time. It's one of those things that you really take for granted how complicated it is. I don't anymore. I recently was working on a thing that involved a lot of time and it was very challenging, especially yeah. testing it and getting it right, especially yeah. when you're testing something that has to go off in real time. Yeah. I'm like, hmm, I guess we actually have to wait for the time to happen. That's how time works. I mean, we just like, I, I just, you know, we just chopped up the whole globe into these little bands. Uh, and made things up. It's all invented by people and people that were not talking to each other at all, really. They were barely communicating when they invented time collectively. We certainly weren't talking to Dan when we invented the schedule based on time. So That's true. Yeah. Dan's forefathers and foremothers and four peoples were not involved in the conversation about inventing time. No. Coincidentally, they were named after time itself, but not involved in that conversation. All right, let's explore a hypothetical, Matt. Here's a hypothetical that I have had Shoot. floating through my mind on the occasions in which dealing with time has become far too complicated for me I want to, know all want about to think about. So, you know, the reason we have time zones, obviously, is because it's not the same time in any two places on planet Earth at any time, except mm -hmm. they, if they share a line of uh, longitude. But, um, you know, the reason that they're so um, unrefined, right, just big blocks, and then it goes to a new hour, uh, is because we didn't really have any technology to do anything better right we're like all right well it's better if we just jump an hour that way it's always easy to remember and we'll just basically go some number of miles and draw this crooked line down the entire globe and we'll decide that's randomly where this time should of break in the hypothetical future where computers are everywhere and they're ruling everything around us which i would argue is happening largely in the civilized world already yep would it be what would the ramifications be if we were to adopt a no time zone every machine Everything on Earth's surface is just basically on a completely linear scale of time relative to its exact location. Are you saying, does that mean we're breaking it down 
by minutes and seconds, and it's, it'll tell yeah. you exactly what time it is in quotes. Yeah, sure. Based on where the sun is in the sky. Yep. Because that seems way more confusing. Well, why is that more confusing? If every single every single device we're saying has its own relative time. Well, see, well, the important thing is that... How are you supposed to coordinate? Well, they, they, that's the thing, is we're coordinating through computers, right? So uh, the coordination is already taken care of. So if, if I say, for example, um, you know, Philadelphia is a little bit to the east of Baltimore, uh, as, as well as north. Sure. So if I said, all right, Matt, I'll meet you in Philadelphia at this time, this, this communication is happening through a computer. The computer knows what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, we could either translate that time to what it would be for you. Obviously, the time we're talking about is the time at our destination, which if it's across the town from you, across the city, it could be few seconds different than where you currently are yeah um but like, like technically we're already doing all of these permutations anytime anything crosses a time zone so it's not any more complicated theoretically to do it for every possible communication that's the thing though in the future where the computers are overlords and they're sort of facilitating our every minute uh maneuver on mm-hmm. the surface of the planet yeah uh, there's no reason that we should have to have time zones anymore the computers will just figure it out yeah, I think it's one you of those just, things. You just sounds... know, leave now to arrive at your meeting with Andy on time. I get that. It sounds nice, uh, except for the part where nothing can ever totally be trusted. Well, nothing. That's already the case. There's always the part where your Nest thermostat goes out and then your house is cold. When your time zone thing goes out and we're trying to co- coordinate by seconds uh, or seconds difference, are we going to want to kill ourselves at that point? I like well, systems that work when everything fails too. That seems pretty good to me. Well, so, so here's my thing. I guess what I'm saying is I feel like we should have two... Right now, time is doing a lot for us, like the canonical time. Yeah. You know, Greenwich Mean Time. That's doing a lot for us in the sense that we use it both to indicate, like, time of day, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and we can agree that this new system will be way better at that, right? Because right now, if you're on the far west side of a time zone, um, your sunrise and sunset is at a different time than if you're on the far east side of a time zone because... Your time is exactly the same, but you're, you know, across the surface of the Earth a certain amount of distance. Mm-hmm. So this system will be far better at that, that job that time has, which is the job of, you know, tell you where you are in your day, allow you to plan things, what time should you get up, what time should you fall asleep, what time should you eat lunch, uh, what time should you meet people around you, all that stuff. Uh, and then this other thing time is doing, which is that now we have computers, time is this, like, signifier that we're trying to manage all these kind of complicated uh, permutations across the entire surface of the earth, right? Like you're trying to ship something from one time zone to another. You're trying to have a Skype call with somebody that's in a different time zone. They don't even know what time zone they're in. Uh, so they have to <laughs> try and figure it out. And then they guess the wrong time zone. You know, all those things are complicated. So I think we should just have this method I'm describing for all local time. And then for all global shared time, uh, we have a new system, which maybe everyone just, you know, follows, uh, whatchamacallit, the... Shit, what's the time called where it's just, you know, seconds since 1970? Unix time? Yeah, that's the one. I almost said Unicode time, but I knew that wasn't it. Um... Oh, no, come on. I think that was a good ending. It's good. People, go ahead, people will hit the end of that episode and they'll go, wait a minute. Did they, what were they even talking about? And did they say anything about it at all? <laughs> God damn. That'll, be, that'll be their dominant thought about that conversation if we end that way. It'd be great. <laughs>